kick that did like four points of damage, and if you failed a dexterity saving throw, you were knocked prone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Nolan, how are things? Haven't chatted with you for a few days. What's exciting? What is going on with you? Uh, you know, I will say that I got a very fun and exciting weekend of uh, Zack Snyder uh, Justice League. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. I, I, as a recommendation, I suggest doing it. Uh, it was so good. And I had also had not seen the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman. And just the extra stuff that they added in that as well helped that movie a lot. Uh, so we, me and the boys watched Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and then yesterday watched Justice League this weekend. I couldn't, be, cool. yeah, I couldn't be more happy and more sad at the same time just knowing what could have been. I mean, it was just, yeah. I can see why a lot of the actors were upset with the, uh, the original cut of what came out. And, and as a huge Superman fanboy, uh, it was so good. It was so good. So if you get a chance, do it. Uh, I will defend it even if it's terrible, but I thought it was great. They added so much more context to everything. Uh, minor characters got major roles, and it was just good. It was not – It was. it's a completely different movie. So That's awesome. That's awesome. I wonder – so we here in Sheridan, uh, we don't – well, I shouldn't say we don't. We have a lot of rich people that – area and, and and i'm talking mostly for for cam who's our special guest so you can understand the context here one of the producers from batman versus superman lives here in sheridan uh his name is bruce moriarty and i wonder nolan if if now <clears throat> when bruce comes into the dealership if you should ask him now that you've seen some of the additional stuff from batman versus superman if he would have a different perspective of it because i know before he was like yeah some projects you just do for the money yeah, he uh, his resume as well as Forrest Gump, and so <laughs> he's he's been yeah. on some big stuff, and yeah. And I guess he's off like in Europe right now on another project. Yeah, uh, I, I'm curious about it. I want, I do, I want to tell him how much I enjoyed the uh, the Snyder cut, and and I suppose if uh, I suppose if, if he had the benefit of seventy million dollars and redoing every movie ever done and going back into it, I'm sure it'd be better the second time around. Um, but this one here was just. I don't know. I got lost in the story of why and what happened. And again, it was just, it was great to see. So it's a nice way to spend four hours. Uh, they did a very nice job of, they broke it up into six parts. So it's kind of like six acts. So I think they're you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour long, kind of breaking up little parts of the story. So you don't have to take it all in one sitting. So if you're afraid of sitting down to watch it because, oh my gosh, who's got four hours. Uh, but it goes by really quick and I got hooked pretty easily. So Anyway, cool, that, cool. That, that was my weekend. Well, for me, I was able to pick up a couple of packs of Time Spiral. This is like one of the exciting things that happened for me this weekend. Uh, so Time Spiral Remaster just came out for Magic the Gathering. It was released on Friday. I stopped into our local shop, the Sports Alley, chatted with Mike for a little bit, the owner, and picked up a, a couple of packs. And I was so happy when I opened a Tarmogoyf. Now, it makes no sense that I'm happy about this because I have a play set of Tarmogoyfs, right? I should not be happy about this, but as much Modern Masters as I bought or earned having worked at Grand Prix Las Vegas in 2015, and I think I left there with a case of Modern Masters, I should have opened a Goyf by now, but I hadn't. So when I opened this one, it's a different border. It's the original artwork, but like a different, like more modern border. Um, I was thrilled. I was like, holy shit, I got a Goyf. Even though like before Goyf was like 150 bucks and now it's 25, which pisses me off, but whatever. I was still excited. It's silly, I know, but hey. 
I think I pulled one on my uh, one of my first Modern Masters reprints. So yeah, uh, shut up. I, I'm just letting you know that I only have one. So if I get back into magic, I'm sure I'll need Goyf for something. So. Well, there you go. I'll just hang on to it until you get back into magic. <laughs> I'll wait till it's fifteen dollars. So. so the other thing I wanted to yeah exactly the other thing I wanted to mention. Um, I had an opportunity, and I and I say I was graced with this opportunity yesterday. Uh, and before I go too far, I want to introduce our guest. Uh, Cameron Day. Cameron is here to talk about his project, Comets and Cockpits. Comets and Cockpits. Wow, that is a mouthful. Uh, coming to <laughs> Kickstarter soon. Cam, how are you doing? Good, and yourself? I'm I'm doing quite well. We're really excited to have you here to talk about your project. Glad to be here. Good, good. And, and so I wanted to introduce you because I wanted to include you in the conversation here. Um, so yesterday I was asked to DM at a birthday party for a young man. Um, his his father was the musical director for Into the Woods that I was a part of uh, before getting COVID, and his name his father's name is Ryan, and Ryan had reached out to me and said, "Hey Patrick, I know you play D and D. Would you be willing to come over to my house on on my son's birthday and DM a game?" Now these are kids who are aged ten to twelve, and Cam, you're a history teacher now. You're a high school history teacher, but you get the idea of trying to wrangle a bunch of kids, especially. Yes. When they're yes. suddenly very excited, right? <laughs> so Ryan told me we had two hours to play. And I was, I'm like, okay, well, we can do something in two hours. There's no problem. Obviously, I'm not going to pull out any of the books or anything like with adventures and stuff. Because you're just not going to have enough time in two hours, especially with five kids ages 10 to 12. So I thought, okay, we're going to do something simple. It'll be, you know, they're walking outside of Waterdeep. A farmer comes up to him. Goblins have kidnapped our kids. Please help us that kind of thing. And so that was the setup, right? During that two hour time period, we were able to include lock, picking locks, failing to disable traps, um, having to do a little bit of role playing. And of course, the big thing that the kids were excited about combat. So they had a, a situation where they fought like a bunch of goblins and you throw eight goblins at a group of five level two characters, they're still going to mow through them. It might take a little time, but they're going to get through them. And then at the end, I pulled, you know, some magic knowledge here and figured they're going to fight this legendary creature called Granko Mob Boss, which if you're a fan of Magic the Gathering, you know that this is a black red goblin. So I thought, OK, we're going to fight Granko Mob Boss. Granko is going to be a legendary creature. He's going to have three legendary reactions that he can use, but he can only use them every other turn. And it was like. Uh, once he had a counter spell, he had a legendary kick that did like four points of damage. And if you failed a dexterity saving throw, you were knocked prone. And um, I forget what the other one was because I never used it. But we were playing this, you know, throughout this encounter. And it, I, I deliberately set it up so where the birthday boy got the killing blow. And like it was really that that and you see it sometimes in Critical Role, that exultation when they beat the final boss. All the kids are standing up, jumping up and down, arms in the air. And I got a text from his dad afterwards saying it's now three hours since the game and these kids are still talking about it. So cool. I thought that was really cool. I was wondering, have either of you ever had a chance to do that? Go ahead, Cameron. Yeah, uh, I so I run a couple games a week and for a while uh, when I was uh, before I engage, I got engaged to my fiance. We were dating um she had never really been big into gaming at all um you know she was she was a track kid in high school you know her brothers and in college more her brothers were more of the nerdy ones and she had never really been in that even though she was into anime and i was like it's still cast but whatever 
um, semantics. And so I finally convinced her. I was like, hey, I'm going to put together a game of some of my friends and brother, and we'll play. And so we did a Curse of Strahd, loose Curse of Strahd. It was more of a plane-hopping Curse of Strahd. Uh, and she was a tabaxi ranger, I think is what she wanted to do. So we did that campaign. I think she was starting to get more and more comfortable. And then I, we did an, our next campaign, which was a Midgard uh, set. So if any of you guys have ever done the Kobold Press Midgard, fantastic set. Um, and we jumped around in that a little bit. And she, had a, she did a Changeling Druid that. And then we kind of had a little break game in the middle where we played Supers and Sorcery, which was our first book, which was our super heroic fantasy setting. And she made, in it, there's this race called the Clory Folk, which are like plant people, which were kind of our, our ode to Swamp Thing. And so she played a Redwood, so she's this huge barbarian. She took the Path of Growth from Supers and Sorcery, which is our Hulk-inspired subclass. And that is when, like, I first saw her really having fun. Like, she'd enjoyed the other games, but, like, just going completely ham as this grouchy old tree man who just wanted to live on his farm and be left alone, and then gets dragged back from retirement. He's like, oh, God damn it. It's like grumbling the entire time, and she had a blast. I think that was definitely the moment when I was like, that is, like, I, I was very happy. They had to fight, like, a Draco Lich, and it was it was just a good So I think that that's probably my. That's awesome. Nolan, how about you? Have you been able to get your kids at all interested? Have you done a little bit of playing around with them? You know, every now and then we'll have little things, but we haven't actually checked dice. Um, and I think the same thing there is, you know, getting your spouse involved and, and getting them a little bit of hook in it so they can kind of understand the madness we go through as fans of this. Um, <laughs> I know that there's a lot of people that I've gotten into, okay, like, it's time for me to play. And I'm like, well, why is now the time? It's like, because every time you have something happen in a game, you come back and you say, oh, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this. And it's like, you weren't ever like, you know, your character Bartholomew was here and they were with this group. They're like, you like live that shit. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's no different than, you know, being in a dream or, you know, telling a story. Like I had the experience. I was there. It was fictional, but it was in my brain. I was like, I'm all for signing up for the Matrix because this is basically what I get to do all the time. So I think, you know, when you have a good DM like we've got uh, with Patrick, um, I think that's kind of been, I've been on the other side of it where I've had those moments of like, I still remember moments. And usually they're not the glorious, like killing the mob boss. It's, you know, uh, Patrick running into a room trying to turn an undead uh, with a cleric and accidentally waking up the entire crypt of undead and getting himself killed. Or, <laughs> you know, as, as zombies, you know, floating across a river and a zombie reaches up and tries to grab one of the character's hands and thinking that it was the best idea to be on a log raft and swing a sword. And uh, I think he chopped the rope and tried to drown again, uh, Patrick's cleric. Um, so it's just those moments of like, it's just the bad things are like, I mean, for us are just like, I can't believe, like, how do we live? I mean, it's like, we're yeah. like, we're like toddlers, like all the time my kids run into stuff. I'm like how are you not more broken? Like you're so resilient. And, and that's usually what our D and D campaigns are like. Remember that time that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We deserve remember that time. Remember that time Sheree decided she was going to be a hag for the betterment of the party. Yeah. Just making a deal with a hag for the sake of, well, maybe she's got information. I'm like, I don't think you go. I think the joke was you don't go full hag. Like, you know, that's just one of those. Things. So no, I, it, I think getting it, the kids into it is fantastic. You'll have kids hooked for life. And uh, of course you'll, you'll get calls now all the time for once yeah, another well, one shot. Right. I guess now I'll just become the professional DM for birthday parties. There you go. Clowns make good money. That's you, right. You can at least charge more than a clown because there's way more work that goes yeah. in there. Yeah. 
you know, the cool thing is, is like, I was just going to show up. Right. And, and my wife is like, no, you're not. She's like, dude, you're a theater nerd. Why the hell would you just show up? You get downstairs and you get dressed up right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I went down here. I came down to my room. I grabbed, I was like, well, the only thing I can have that, that really is going to, you know, look good is like, so I grabbed my kilt, I grabbed my pirate shirt. I threw it all together. And when I showed up at the house, I was like, man, I, I whatever. And both Ryan and his wife were like, oh my God, you look amazing. That's and awesome. And the kids just totally ate it up. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And you know what? I, I would absolutely recommend to anybody listening to this, to both of you, if you get a chance to DM for a bunch of 12-year-olds for a birthday party and you just have that allotment of two hours or whatever, do it. Because all the way home, which was only like you know a half a mile, I was grinning ear to ear because their excitement and their laughter and their joy was so infectious that it, it was cool. So I, yeah. I recommend you guys do it. That's why we play. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. So let's jump into the news so we can spend some time talking to Kim about his project. So let's kick it off with some Dungeons and Dragons news. Gando Keep Mysteries is out in the wild. Uh, before I turn it over to Nolan, I, when I got home from uh, DMing that adventure, I came home to this waiting on my couch. I did not uh -huh. order this. My brother went and picked it up and dropped it off. He's like, you have to have this book. I'm like, why? And he goes, you need to look at the back. So have either of you grabbed the, the this copy of the book? I haven't book seen yet? it. I, I have the regular. Unfortunately, I am a poor first year teacher and do not have the monies for the special <laughs> edition, but I do have the regular one. So we are very <laughs> fortunate that our local game store charges the same price. So it, it's kind of nice. So the back of this has Beholders. And no one you know how I feel about beholders. I know. <laughs> So I saw this and I about came unglued. Now this is, I wasn't going to buy Candlekeep Mysteries because I knew no one was going to get it on D&D Beyond. He was going to share it with me and I was going to run it that way. But you know what? Just like we had said originally when we saw the artwork for this, it looks like an ancient tome that's going to sit on your bookshelf, right? This is a really nice book. Now the other, one thing they did differently with this that they've done with like Morden Canons and Volos is it doesn't have that like faux feel to it, that, that almost felt like feel to it. This is more like the standard D&D books that we have. Um, Still, absolutely gorgeous book. Uh, Dom, thank you so much. I love this edition of the book. It will go up on the shelf with the other ones that I have. All right, Nolan, I'm going to turn it over to you so you can tell us what you've looked at at Candlekeep Mysteries. You know, I haven't delved too deep into it just because I'm hoping to play it. Um, the big thing that I took away from just kind of looking at it was how you use the adventure. And I think the, the best thing about what it did for me was just kind of start the wheels turning for... Uh, planning them into a game. Uh, so the, the kind of the idea behind it and what they have in the book is the Candlekeep Mysteries table summarizes the adventure in this anthology. Each adventure is designed for four to six characters of a particular level, but you can adjust it for larger, smaller groups, obviously. Characters for higher level or lower, just depending on what you need to do. Swap some AC, swap some DCs, add an extra monster, whatever you need to do. Each adventure in this anthology embraces one of the following narrative concepts. The characters discover a book in a library that contains a mystery. Getting to the bottom of this mystery requires embarking on an adventurer. And the other idea is the characters come to Candlekeep on a quest for information, perhaps to solve a crisis elsewhere in the world. During their research, they uncover a book uh, and the mystery it contains, which leads to adventure. So the idea behind these books is there are 16 books. Uh, each one is designed with a level in mind. Uh, they give you a brief description on it, and then that's kind of what it is. So my thought, and we were talking about it, you know, just kind of as a as a group of I think that needs to be treasure more often, right? Uh, you you loot the bandit's cave or whatever, and there's, you know, 
oh, there's the gold, there's the gym, there's the fancy art that they stole and blah, blah, blah. And then instead of saying, okay, we'll go back and get our bounty or whatever, like, you know, across his desk, there's this book and there's all these notes and these details and he was working on something and, and this is, you know, all this money was going to fund a project or something like that. And you happen to pick up, you know, uh, Book of the Raven uh, and it's a level three adventure. Uh, description is a treasure map tucked inside a book beckons adventures to a remote hilltop shallot occupied by a secret society that shuns visitors. And so, you know, you can, you could play all of these very much by each book leads to another book. You find it as treasure. Um, we also talked about, uh, I think it'd also be fun just to be, I'm from Candlekeep. I'm, I'm the nerdy librarian that's checking in books or whatever. And, you know, there's a book that's been missing for, you know, three days or whatever, you know, or, and it's time to go collect or, you know, just be this really big group of librarians that incidentally become like some super high powerful adventurers trying to collect overdue books or something like that. So, um, Anyway, I, I didn't read too much into the adventures uh, just because I really want to play them. Um, but I, I, I like this idea. This is a great way to just fill in those gaps of if your campaign's not quite ready yet to move on to the next level. You feel like your team needs more time learning abilities because um, some of them are hard. You know, jumping from, you know, eight to ninth level is kind of a huge step, especially if you're starting, you know, above the first five levels. That's not a lot of time to get used to abilities or features. And we see it a lot in our games where, People aren't using abilities correctly or they forget they have them because they didn't grow up with them. Uh, so this will buy you some more time. Uh, it looks cool. The map of Candlekeep is huge. It is not the Candlekeep I saw uh, in Baldur's Gate 1 when I played that game. So that got me pretty excited about it. Uh, I don't know. Looks like a good book. I'm curious to play the adventure as soon as we actually knock some of these out. Maybe work them into a one shot here and there. Um, we'll get a little better review on what it is, but so far I like the layout. I like the idea. Um, I don't need a huge railroaded game uh, every single time D and D puts out a book. We enjoyed Tales of the Yawning Portal, uh, and again, I think the best. Did we know? Did we? <laughs> Somebody did. <laughs> Somebody enjoyed killing us. We did lose a lot of people at that. That's a whole other tangent. We really did, yeah. Um, but I, I would say that I, I still would like to, you know, it, it's going to be a passion project, but I would like to take all the campaigns and create just a story and just drop people off into town and wherever they end up is the campaign we're playing and just not tell anybody we're playing by books and we'll just weave out the entire anthology of what they've got for Forgotten Realms and you go north, you run into giants, you go south, you run into Cholt, you go, you know, west, you know, you're dealing with some Candlekeep mysteries. I mean, it is what it is, so... A good book, yeah. good price point. I mean, I think it was 30 bucks on D&D Beyond for me uh, and for 16 adventures and actually seeing something of a little bit higher level. Um, I'm curious to see, again, I, I want to see what D&D or at least the creators say, this is what a 16th to 20th level campaign looks like because they haven't touched it. And I'm guessing is because it's just not balanced when you get wizards that high. But I, yeah. I want to see. Meteor Swarm comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You get, Kim, you said, yeah. Kim, you said you bought the original copy of the book, correct? Yeah, I've got it sitting back there on my side table on top of my copy of Way of Kings, which I still haven't finished. Um, but I'm really excited for it only because I follow and know a bunch of the people that worked on it, a bunch of the writers for it on Twitter. And it's one of those things where usually I do all my own homebrew. I don't, you know, pick adventures, but I was like, but... I have a bunch of people I know who worked on it, so that made it cooler, and it made me want to get it more because I was like, I'm supporting their writing. Um, and plus the fact that it's just such a diverse team as well. I mean, even and like you know, out towards May with Van Richten's coming out, 
pre-ordered that because I was like, Dad, I want. Um, but no, I'm I'm excited. I was looking through some of the adventures. It looks really fun. And for me, kind of like what you were getting at, Nolan, is like, I like the idea of going to an ancient library and trying to find the mysteries that are in the library. Like, I built a class on DMs Guild called the Expeditionary. It's got six subclasses where the whole point is you are... Because, like, the idea is that players are explorers, but there's nothing that specializes them. So I built the Expeditionary for stuff like Candlekeep without sort of realizing it because we didn't know Candlekeep was going to come out when I built it. And it's just that kind of that mystery, that sleuthing, the exploration. I always have more fun with that than massive boss fights. So uh, I'm excited. I'm going to read through it and maybe throw some into my next uh, game because I'm running a throne. That, I'm running a game set in Eldraine. Uh, and I think it'll be a perfect place to rework some of it. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, so Candlekeep Mysteries is out in the wild. You can, of course, get it on D&D Beyond as well as your local game store. If you don't have a local game store, obviously you can go to the major outlets and pick it up. Uh, Walmart, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, things like that. Uh, we always recommend you support your local game store first. Uh, we do have an official gameplay trailer for Dark Alliance. Nolan, what can you tell us about this? Uh, I have mixed reviews on it. I'm excited for the game. I love Dark Alliance. I thought the trailer was super hokey uh <laughs> i i i don't know who they were trying to appeal to with the trailer and the music um it did not necessarily adult terminology but like uh teen 14 terminology uh you know talking about kicking ass and slaying hordes and i was just like i don't know um i'm excited to play it the game looks pretty good like just from what they give you it's hard to say until you actually feel it i mean if it's smooth and that kind of stuff there but again i i'm excited for the adventures it looks like it's basically taking place after the crystal shard uh and a people are not so nice people are searching what happened to it so waves of enemies and monsters and craziness are coming to the north and seek of a powerful artifact and it's up to you and the the, the what is it the companions of the hall to uh, stop mm -hmm. them um they have uh Dritzt is a classified as a rogue uh which i think is probably a okay route to go even though you're going to make some people mad with it uh Caterbury is a ranger which is also an area that i think you might make people upset um wolfgar looked pretty awesome bruner looked pretty awesome so i i'm hoping it's gonna be good it, it looks smooth i like hacking slashes i mean i'm a, I'm a fan for loot and diablo look like you could level up gear so and it'll change on your character appearance so you get a helmet it changes which i think is great that's always nice to see uh, the evolution so it's not just hey numbers are bigger um i i'm excited i'll play it uh totally i'm gonna play it but so so i i have to mention because only because you mentioned the crystal shard and and i'm sure the majority of the people who listen to this show know what the crystal shard is but just in case we get that one person who is no idea the crystal shard was written by r.a salvatore and it is it, not timeline wise and nolan correct me if i'm wrong but it is actually the first drizzurden book um not timeline wise mind you because he goes back and does some like prequel stuff but that was the icewind dale trilogy the very first book that that we saw about Drizzt Jordan and his friends, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, just wanted to make sure I had that right, because somebody's going to be like, no, you're wrong. So I figured I better just clear it and make sure. The other thing about this game that I'm excited for is that it's in third person, which yep. means 
Patrick can play it <laughs> because yeah. can't just so you know I get sick when I play first person games. I like unless I take a buttload of Dramamine, I can't play them. They just make me horribly sick. So we talk about all these games that are coming out, and Nolan's like, "Yeah, it's in first person." I'm like, "Well, so much for that." Um, so I'm excited about that. Cameron, how about you? Are you excited for Dark Alliance? I don't know. I I. I saw the trailer and I don't, I'm not a big forgotten realms guy. Um, just cause so many, my group back home are like the, the two guys who used to run games before I started doing the majority of games. Um, they're my brother's age. So they're, you know, 21 now, but they grew up on like two E first edition. Cause that's what their dad taught them to play. And they were huge, like Ritz fans. And I mean, I don't mind the books, but like for me, it was Dragonlance that got me into D. You know, I've got original copies that I found for like two bucks at a flea market. And then I looked and they're like, oh, they're $40 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Dra Dragonlance is more my dealio. I mean, my biggest thing is just if I was to get a D&D &D video game, I'd want it to be more like D&D &D and, you know, more freeform, more sandboxy, you know, plop it on whatever, you know, setting you want. But I think it's like with Baldur's Gate, you know, I have a couple of buddies that play it a lot. They're like, oh, it's, you know, only got this set stuff and it's only this set stuff. And I'm like, eh. I mean, I, to every, anyone who wants to play it, like, awesome new. I Just for me, the reason I like DMD is the, <laughs> the sandbox, the freeform. I don't sure. like structure. <laughs> Yeah, Fair yeah. This is very much a Diablo clone. I mean, it's designed. It's a uh, it's a hack and slash and a theme world. It's not D and D. It's just D and D themed. Um, and I can see what you're saying too. I mean, I think we grew up with uh, some Baldur's Gate action as well. Uh, telling the story, being on the campaign, uh, turn based systems, actually seeing the spells that you're used to. So, I, I'm excited for Baldur's Gate three. Uh, I know it is in alpha right now, so or beta. So that's that's kind of tough. But that'll be probably a little closer to what you're looking at. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, I don't know. It, it it goes back to like what they did with fourth edition, right? With fourth edition, they were trying to cater to the World of Warcraft kids by by having encounter abilities and that kind of stuff. So to me, this kind of looks like uh, like when we're bringing magic into or Lord of the Rings into the magic or that kind of stuff. Like we're we're getting it's going to be theme stuff. It's not going to somebody's going to play this and be like, oh, I got to play D and D. It's not going to be the same form most likely because they're going to be used to. So when do I slaughter everything? And, It'll be interesting to see what who brings it in. So, yeah, so I still enjoy Ori. I still enjoy. It. That's where I wet my teeth. Fair <laughs> enough. The standard edition of the game will be priced at thirty nine ninety nine. There's also going to be a digital deluxe edition of the game priced at fifty nine ninety nine. It does look like the digital digital deluxe. Wow, there's that mouthful again. The digital deluxe version will get you access to Echoes of the Blood War expansion. I got to admit, I, I think it looks pretty fun. I do agree with Cameron in that I do like if I'm going to play a D&D role-playing game, I do like it to be a little bit more open world. However, in the case of just sitting down, playing for a few minutes, and having the D&D feel to it, the D&D theme to it, I'm okay with that. So I'll probably end up picking this one up, mostly because it's in third person and I can actually play it. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be on PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Steam, and Xbox X. So it looks like it'll be across all platforms. I didn't see anything on... Uh, cross-platform play or anything like that yet, but I don't know. Good fun hack and slash. Hit some combos, yeah. mashing buttons, pick up some loot, and uh, yeah, go about your fun. life. So that is all the news I saw for D&D. Did either of you see anything else that I'm missing? I Perfect. Didn't. 
let's hop over to Onyx Path, and this will be really quick here. Uh, with a campaign for Victorian Age Mage about to wrap up, Onyx Path has announced her next Kickstarter. This time it's going to be Trinity Continuum Adventure. Cameron, are you a Trinity Continuum player? I am not. I've reviewed a lot of Onyx Path stuff. I actually had um, Eddie Webb on my show a little while ago to talk about uh, Pugmire. Like, in, my brother and I love Pugmire um, just because we're both dog people, and it's just stupid, ridiculous, and fun. But uh, as far as other Onyx Path stuff, I've played some Vampire, uh, but I'm not super, super informed. Sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's neither Nolan and I play Trinity either. We know of it. Uh, that's really about the extent of our knowledge of it. So I, I do, I did see in the project status updates that there is a little bit of movement in some of the projects. Some things are slowly starting to work through the ice field that is their their project list. Still no shipping on Cults of the Blood Gods yet, which, come on, man. Oh, did we just lose Craig? Probably. We did. We'll just keep going. So nothing from Cults of the Blood Gods yet, uh, which is unfortunate. I'm really waiting. I, I'm excited for that book to ship. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, that's, that's about it for Monix Path. Not a whole lot of news this week, which is great. That means more time for Cam. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hop over to Modivius. They did announce uh, a free PDF for Star Trek Adventures Klingon Quick Start. Uh, just pulled straight from the uh, press release. It says, this is a free 37-page Klingon quick start for Star Trek Adventures role-playing. Uh, provides a summary of the key rules needed to play through the quick start adventure. The adventure, the tip of the batleth, is six and six pre-generated Klingon warrior player characters all ready for your game group to use to battle for glory and honor. You will also need at least two 20-sided dice per player, several six-sided dice to service challenge dice, a set of chips or tokens for momentum, and at least 20 chips or tokens for threat. Uh, the pre-generated pre characters found in the back of the booklet, of course, you will also need. Now, ready your disruptors and bat lists, download the Quick Start Adventure, gather your friends, and enter Star Trek Adventures from the Klingon point of view. Kapla! All right, has, I know Nolan has, and Cameron, are you a Star Trek fan? Not Star Trek, but I do love Modiphius. Um, okay. I talked with Chris Birch a couple, I think, last, last season. Um... I've got their Infinity RPG. I've got the Conan RPG. I've got the John Carter RPG. And I got Dishonored for Christmas. Uh, so uh, you can call me a fan. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, that is available on Drive-Thru RPG. So if you're a fan of uh, Star Trek Adventures, which that is a game that I de definitely want to play because I love Star Trek, all iterations of Star Trek. So this game has me... Like I, I've bought a couple of books with the hope that one day we'll play it, which, I mean, I have a bookshelf full of books with the hope that one day we'll play them. <laughs> I don't think you can call yourself a true RPG nerd if yeah, exactly. you don't have that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it is available on Drive-Thru RPG. I do have a link in the show notes, so if you wanted to check that out, uh, go ahead and grab yourself a free copy. I didn't see a whole lot else in the news. I mean, just not a lot going on right now. And Nolan, am I missing anything? I didn't see a lot either. It was fairly quiet. Um, nothing, at least uh, groundbreaking and earth shattering. So. Cameron, how about you? Is there any news that you'd like to share with us that are, is RPG related, not related to your project? I mean, nothing I can think of off the top of my head other than the fact that I was just scrolling through and I had remembered that... Uh, Magic is doing a Warhammer 40k set. Yes, uh, they are. It'll be commander point, based. Which uh, I'm going to buy just for the meme. 
just like, ah, yes, I put down my uh, four white <laughs> Startes to uh, attack you just because it's yeah. so ridiculous. So That's from what we've seen about that is that it's going to be five decks, uh, all Warhammer 40k themed. And I, I, I do have some speculations about what those decks are going to be. Um, and, and eventually I'll do a show just me talking about what I think these decks are going to be. I think that is scheduled to come out fall 2022 for the for the commander cycle uh i know that this fall the magic set is going to be the adventures in the forgotten realms oh that's right i forgot about yep. that and then next spring we should be getting the lord of the rings set which i was like i was telling my wife you know i picked up some time spiral remastered this weekend mostly just because it's time spiral remasters there's a couple of foils in the set that i need for my ad nauseum deck but i didn't really you know it's not like i was counting on getting them um however she's like well are you going to keep buying? I'm like, no, I'm saving my money for Lord of the Rings and Forgotten Realms. <laughs> like, because I'll probably end up buying multiple boxes of both of those. So I can have complete sets. And it, it, and even then, um, it, it's mostly going to be just because of what they are and the collectability of them. And it's just like the Warhammer stuff. I'll end up buying each of those just to put them away. So, yeah, uh, I looking forward to the 40k stuff all right so that is going to be our new section for this week uh we are going to wrap that up and move on to our topic of the week which is comets and cockpits and that is with cameron day cameron uh obviously we've already welcomed you to the show but why don't you real quick give us your background and then tell us a little bit about what is a junker space fantasy all right uh so hello everyone I got my start in RPGs when I was about 10. Uh, a friend, family friend of ours had this like box of 20, 2E, 3.5, four stuff just like thrown together. And uh, he was like, here, this is on permanent loan. And then eventually he was just like, yeah, just keep it. Um, and so that's kind of over the years, I would more and more and more. And I used to be like a D&D kid through and through. Now I play a lot of other systems as well. Um, and then in October of 2019, when I was a when I was a senior in college, um, I over that summer I connected with a couple folks on the guild because I'd been reviewing stuff on the guild for a long time. But I was like, why don't I try writing for it? Um, so my first title on the guild, uh, which was October 5th of 2019, was Voices Voices of the Gods, which was a descent into a Vernus themed collection of it was four subclasses. All very, I think I did a um, Path of the Demigod Barbarian, Archangel Patron Warlock. Uh, trying to remember the other one. Some more beefed up versions of other subclasses that I had, you know, like Celestial Warlock is kind of, it's kind of weak. It's not that exciting. So I, the Archangel Patron, for instance, was the goal was that for Warlocks who have lost their previous patrons. Excuse me for the idiots going by my house and but um, the idea being that if you've lost your patron, the Archangel will come along and become your new patron, no questions asked. But you are bound to that Archangel. Break that promise. Um, and then we also threw, we took Anakian glyphs, and we built a whole Anakian tattoo system in the back of that. Um, we did that. And then the big book that most folks probably know me for is Root and Twig, which I did with my friend Ryan Langer. I did uh, Voices of the Gods with my friend Brian Holmes. Brian and I did... Root and Twig, which was a collection of 11 subclasses themed around the American timber industry of the late 1800s and early 1900s. And we had an original class in there called the Garad Rue, 
which was um, inspired by Celtic tree divination. So you got this like little symbiotic thing called a Beogrid, which grew with you and grew on you. And based on which type you took, it would give you different abilities. Um, and so I was publishing and writing and writing. And then finally COVID happened uh, and I was home because I was doing my student teaching and I did my first eight weeks with this middle school. Then I had to go home and finish up all of my high school student teaching online. And I'm, you know, one day I was farting around because I was on my lunch break. And uh, I'm looking at it and a couple of my friends pings me in the DMs Guild creator server. And they're like, hey, Cam, we need you. And I show up, I'm like, ah, ha, I have been summoned. What do you require? And a couple of buddies of mine have been like throwing around the idea of costume vigilantes in a fantasy setting, like how to make it work. And then we got talking, and then I built a Discord server, and then we did a Kickstarter <laughs> all in, like, three months, and that was Supers and Sorcery, so folks will probably know us from there, which was our sort of homage to comic books, and um, I think one of the fun things was it is that we kind of went into it with the idea of player characters are already superheroes. You already are above average. So we were like, we're not going to, you know, add tons of extra stuff and you don't really need it like so we added an origin system we did a bunch of new subclasses but the really main thing about supers and sorcery was the setting which was the city of beacon and the idea being that the four levels of beacon you can tune to the different ages of comic books so like the low city is like bronze age you know late 90s early 2000s plenty of excess and grit and unrealistic anatomical art and then you get into like Serenity, and it's more you're like Silver Age, early Bronze Age. You get into um, Argentum Square, very Silver Age, early Gold Age. And then you get into Paragon's Peak, and it's pure Gold Age. Um, and that was really fun. So then when we were wrapping that up this uh, fall, we were wrapping up, I was like, you know what? Because I'm insane, I just want to do another one now. And I had this idea rolling around in my head because there was this MMO that I loved called Wildstar, which I don't think many folks remember um but it was this super weird quirky like borderlands dialed up to a hundred it was bright it was colorful very zany and it was this really cool like sort of half fantasy half sci-fi uh game unfortunately it got shut down in 2019 um and that was really inspiring me i was like oh i want to do an rpg like that and that's how Comets and cockpits kind of came to be. It was this idea of, you know, when I was talking with my with Zach Owens, my uh, co-project manager, we were like, you know, there's really a lot of people want Spelljammer, but as far as we know, Spelljammer ain't coming back. <laughs> that has kind of been left in the in the annals of history. So then we were like, why don't we build something? I had had this idea. I'd gone to Zach to help with Kickstarter, and we were like, why don't we build this as an alternative to, to Spelljammer. And really at the core of Comets and Cockpits is the fact that it's, you know, space fantasy with this junker aesthetic of like everything's worn, everything's rusty, there's scrap all over the place. You know, you can build anything you want, you know, that kind of thing. And very much with like tastes of stuff from like Firefly, Outlaw Star, Cowboy Bebop, Destiny, 40K just all these different things just sort of smorgasbord into one thing and we got the team together and now we got the kickstarter launched in april it's, it's been really fun building 
building it and just seeing what has come out of the minds of some of these awesome folks. I will say if you ever get a chance to go back and watch any of the Wildstar uh, coming soon trailers, by far some of the best marketing and uh, I'm a big fan of getting hyped up and it did a wonderful job of that. Just fantastic trailers. I mean, it was just so much potential, but yes. Nice. I was not familiar with that one at all. Leave it to you, Nolan, to know. (laughs) It was good. It was good. And it was a game that didn't take itself seriously. Like when you leveled up, there's this guitar riff and like level up with flash crossing. And then you just had Fred Tadaskar being like, oh shit, what a badass. (laughs) And it was so stupid, but it was like, oh, it was so good. So good. So when I think Junker Space Fantasy, um, I'm, and I'm going to date myself, and I guarantee, I, well, I would wager neither of you know this movie. Have, are, have you ever heard of the movie Ice Pirates? Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. So you should go look that up. Uh, it's a mid-80s sci-fi ridiculous movie um, that really plays into this concept of swashbuckling adventures, wide open exploration, and wild technology that you have in your descriptor of Junker Space Fantasy. And I would say it absolutely classifies itself as this. So you should check it out. It's it's hilarious. Um, anyway, that... So, <laughs> sorry, tangent. <laughs> so tell us about the project. Tell us exactly what you have in here. What exactly are we making? Tell us what exactly yeah. you're making. So we... When I originally had pitched the idea to Zach, we had kind of thought, you know, this is probably too much for one book uh, because it's really two settings at the same time. We have, it's going to be two books. The first book is going to be uh, Geographica Adelphos, which is the setting book based around the planet of Adelphos, which is 39 billion square kilometers. It's the size of Jupiter. And when everyone in the group was like, but Cam, scientifically, that doesn't work. I'm like, (laughs) they're like, the gravity. No, no, no. Um, so we've got Adelphos, which is really themed to be much more space western. You know, there's the terror, there's the the um, territory of Haven, which is this tiny, tiny little peninsula on the planet. And there's six counties. All the different counties kind of have a different feel, a different taste, um, and it's really meant to be. You know, there was these ancient civilizations. This great apocalypse happened. None of them are remaining. The ones that did survive escaped into the stars. And their descendants are the people that are now resettling the planet. Um, and so the idea is you can go out and explore and find all these ancient ruins, you know, inside mountains or underneath jungles. And that nature is like growing back over them. Um, so you can be a cowboy who rides a dragon and has a rune-powered gun. Um, and it, it's just really built on that element of goofiness and excitement and that kind of thing. Um then with the second book, which is uh, Technologica Epoch, that is set in this giant satellite that orbits the planet, um, which is actually built from the body of the creator of Adelphos, this uh, cre- this being called an exarch, uh, who is named Opus Nin. And they're sort of after they made the planet, they sort of transformed themselves into this space station, which is actually powered by their soul. A um, little bit of Harlock. Space Pirate, I can't remember the exact name of that uh, movie. Um, and the idea is that that's going to be more of your very hard sci-fi. But with that, so there's going to be mecha, ships, um, you know, lots of political uh, espionage, corporate espionage, because on an epoch, the six major corporations have a very big presence. Um, 
So each book is designed to operate separately. But so when we, when you go to back to Kickstarter, you can back and pick, oh, I just want book one or I just want book two, or you can get both. Um, so it's kind of designed so that we're going to fund both at the same time and folks can pick and choose uh, based on what kind of flavor they want. So have you started to map out the Kickstarter? Do you know what like the entry level buy in is going to be to get one of the books? Have you figured that part out yet? We have. I would have to pull it up as I don't <laughs> remember oh, right off the top of my head. Um, Zach's been handling a lot of that stuff. I've been more because when we did Supers and Sorcery, uh, my friend Adam Hancock was more of a technical lead and I was more of a creative lead as that's more of where my spirit is. Although I think the next couple of Kickstarters, I'm going to have to start to learn those skills. So <laughs> I am uh, taking up those reins. But right now, our goal is going to be $3,000. And that is what we set for Supers and Sorcery. You know, with Supers and Sorcery, we funded in 10 hours. And it's really because 3000 is like a nice sweet spot. It's not too much and it's not too little. And it worked really well with Supers and Sorcery. You know, we got, we were like 414% funded by the end and we blew through all of our stretch goals. And so we've got a ton of stretch goals built. But if we blow through those, all the rest of the money is just going to go to art and to the writers. That's really, you know, one of the big things that we ran into was you see these Kickstarters that like raise oodles and oodles of money and they just keep adding stretch goals, adding stretch goals, adding stretch goals. And they, you know, take months, if not years to deliver because they're like, oh, we added too much. <laughs> and they're kind of stuck. They're like, no, everything we got is just going to go right into the book. Um, but we've kind of alternated so that every other stretch goal you know, one will go into book one, one will go into book two, one will go into book one, one will go into book two. Um, so that way, both are are uh, equally appreciated. Uh, right now, they are sitting at almost 200 pages of raw text before edits. So we're going to have some big books. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Uh, it does look like you have on here that um, it's going to be published on Drive through RPG, which makes it so where you're exclusively using the 5e open game license. So that means mm -hmm. this will be using the 5e D&D rules. Yep, yep. Well, we wanted to do that just because it's easier. It's a system everyone knows. And like we said, we want to make it an alternative for folks who might want Spelljammer or might, who might want Planescape. But also just, you know, rule of cool. I... I have never been one who has taken balance too seriously. I like folks to have a good time, to just get wild, get crazy at the table. And that's one of the biggest things uh, that went into Comets and Cockpits is, you know, bringing more of that rule of cool kind of fun to it while obviously still using the mechanics. And yeah, and it's also, it's just easier to go through drive through rather than to try and build other places. Because if you try to do that, then you have to pay a bunch of extra printing fees and it's, a whole schlocky mess for everyone. So drive throughs just and who doesn't need a massive, massive drive through RPG library? Trust <laughs> me, my bookshelf could not handle my drive through RPG library. Oh, neither could mine. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and neither could a printer. I think I would burn several printers out trying to print them all. <laughs> so PDFs are your best friend, especially if you have a tablet. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. Oh, cool. So what is your what is your timeline? When are you thinking this is actually going to launch? So we are launching April 15th. Uh, so coming right up, we actually just broke uh, 250 followers on the pre-launch page, uh, nice. which is great. And so the goal is we'll launch April 15th, wrap up by mid-May. And then right now we're looking at hopefully 
uh, launching the books by our goal is like January 2022. Uh, given just we're going to have a lot of art, we're going to have a lot of layout. Um, I think we can definitely hit that, if not maybe even before then. Um, I think January is like kind of like the the proposed, but. With Supers and Sorcery, we deliver. We said we were going to deliver December of 2020, and we delivered December of 2020, like before Christmas. Um, so I think we've got a good handshake. Yeah, April April 15th is when uh, the Kickstarter will be launching. That's awesome. Uh, and I do, of course, have a link to the Kickstarter um, pre-launch in the show notes, so people can go and take a look at that. Um, tell us a little bit more about, like, can you tell us about any special characters or anything like that 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 are going to be in this in the campaign? Yes. Oh, hello. My cat has decided to come and join us. That's fine. Um, we like cats. <laughs> so each book, we tried to equate it out. So as this numpty goes by my house again, uh, each book has uh, five original species. And so with each book, we also made sure to include little write-ups on, you know, what the SRD races and species are doing in space. Like, what are they What are they doing here? Like, how did they get here? Because we didn't want, you know, we wanted to offer folks a little bit of a groundwork so that way they don't have to, like, scramble and try and figure out, you know, what is my elf doing in space? Um, but, yeah, we got five original species for each book, uh, ten original spells, ten original feats. Um, right now we have, I believe, seven original subclasses for each book. And then some of our stretch goals are original classes, so we'll get those in. Um, but like, for instance, uh, one of the... And we try to tailor all the races and species and subclasses to really work with each of the books. So like, for instance, one of the sub-races I made, or one of the new races I made, um, was call, are called the Ambaliri. And they're kind of, they're sort of a different type of lizard folk, where they've grown up on this, you know, extremely environmentally hostile planet where all the environment like all the environment is like dialed up to like a thousand so they split into these two separate groups the one that's in book one are called the darwick and they are very much like survivalists like they evolve naturally they can survive they're survivalists um very much inspired by marine iguanas and the galapagos islands if you couldn't tell <laughs> by the name and then we have the uh Alkiak, who are in book two, and they instead did scientific experimentation on themselves and installed runes in their bodies to, you know, evolve faster. Um, so, again, kind of reflecting, you know, the more survival, more wild feel of book one, and the more streamlined scientific feeling of book two. Um, we got a ton of backgrounds, too, so we really like backgrounds at Daily Publications. You know, I think... In general, backgrounds are probably one of the least, one of the most underutilized things characters have access to. Um, usually when I build a character, I go background first, then class. Just because obviously you get skills for free from your background, so you should build like that. Um, but, uh, you know, for instance, one of the backgrounds we built for book one, one that I did, uh, the Cragclaw Wrangler, which is on a Delphos, there are these giant, imagine a lynx the size of a buffalo. Um, called Roughneck Crag Claws. And the, the background is called the Crag Claw Wrangler, and you, you get a Crag Claw as a mount. One of the stretch goals is I want to build a whole new system for mounted combat, training mounts, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a whole thing of like how you connect it to the mount. You know, what is the personality of your Crag Claw? And it's very much built in like that Western feel of like 
you know, in cowboy movies, you have the cowboy, but you have the horse. The horse is also kind of a secondary. Um, or then jump to book two, and one of the backgrounds I made for book two was an office jockey, you know, running around one of the different corporations. So depending on which corporation you pick, you'll have a contact there, and maybe you'll get different skills based on which corporation you work for. Um, I, Pete's, I didn't do any feats for book one, but I did... <laughs> I did do a feed for book two based off of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure stands. Uh, it is stupid. It is so ridiculous. It's called Stand and Deliver. It's an absolute spoof feat, but it is it's great. It's super fun. Um, and then sort of the, the big things I think that set both books apart is with book one, uh, this awesome writer, Kai Linder, uh, he worked with uh, some other folks, uh, Lydia Van Hoy on our team, to create this whole new runic system of runic magic. So in our universe, there is spark, and magic is derived from spark. So we didn't reinvent the magic system. We're just adding to it. Uh, so one of the things you can do is you can find rune stones, or you can find sigils, which when combined create rune stones. And so by doing that, you know, if you have a fire sigil and like a... I don't know, like a power sigil, and you combine them, you make a fire power rune stone, which can be used as like a battery. So we really wanted to build that. And then with book two, we have the whole way of building mecha, based on which chassis you take, what kind of weapons you build, which corporation you you know get parts from. Um, and I think those are the, some of the big things that really set the tone of them differently, but also make them connected as well. Because if you want, you know, you could get book two and bring your mecha to Adelphos. And then try to have your mecha like make it through, you know, the jungles of Adelphos or something. Uh, but those are some of the things that you know players can have to look forward forward to. That's awesome. So Nolan's a loot guy. Nolan always wants to know what the loot is, right? He's like <laughs> the guy who goes into a dungeon. He's like, okay, we killed him, but what did we get? What are they carrying? So, they had nothing yeah. on them. That's bullshit. I got shit <laughs> in my pocket right now, and I'm not even a boss, man. Like, let's go. <laughs> so. so. Is there any cool loot that no one would be excited about? Yes. So we have a bunch of new armor types. Uh, we, I would definitely say book one is more loot heavy, uh, just because it's much more, again, much more that like space western exploration grungy feel. You know, there's more stuff you can find. Um, it's got a bunch of new armors, a bunch of new weapons. Um, the magic items are really sweet. Uh, uh, a buddy of mine, <laughs> Noah Simpson, who has who worked on uh, the project with us, he and I are both very big Bionicle fans. Uh, and we found some excellent ways to get some Bionicle Easter eggs uh, into the, into both of the books. So one of the gun, one of the things he made, which if anyone watching ever got the uh, 2008, it was like 2008, 2007, um, uh, Baraka, Baraki and uh, Toa lines where they're underwater, the bad guys have squid launchers. And so we made a squid gun, or Noah made a squid gun that fires live squids, but the minute the squids land, they are independent, and they do not do what you want them to do. So it's just a free, it's just a free and we specifically, he specifically says that in the rules of, they could act completely independent of what you want them to do. Uh, so we've got that. Um, another cool little item I built was, is called the Cone Slinger. So one of the territories is called Tide Timber, and it's very much like huge redwoods, you know, big coastal forests. And um, it's a shotgun that fires slugs made out of pine cones. So it's like compressed flammable pine cones uh, that you can fire. 
Um, one of the magic items you can find, a little teaser, is we have these critters called croco-dragons, which are draconic crocodiles that live in the uh, salt marshes around the coast. And there's a magic item, which is a set of croco-dragon armor uh, that you can get and find, uh, which is pretty exciting. Some of the stuff, a lot more of the stuff for like book two, a lot of the loot in book two is um, we have a lot of cool concealed weapons. We obviously have a huge firearms table. We've added a ton of firearms. Uh, Oliver King, they worked on adding a ton of new weapons um, to get that, but also just like cool gear to have around a space station. So lots of like repair weapons. Um, a lot of the weapons we added, there are some cool non-lethal options. So again, another Bionicle inspired one Xamersphere, or we call it the sphere, the fear sphere launcher. So if you fire it, um, it shoots out a globe that hits a target or a couple of targets and induces them with the command uh, spell, and you tell them like specifically to flee or run. Um, so there's lots of of goodies that you will be able to get. <laughs> Good, because no one would be upset if there wasn't. <laughs> I uh, it, it sounds really cool. I uh, recently uh, finished up a playthrough of The Outer World, and it was kind of one of those thoughts in my mind was like, this would be a fun story to play in D anD D, and so it's cool to see some of that stuff there. I you know, Wildstar was a great game, and kind of the same thoughts of, you know, not take yourself too seriously, uh, but also again, you know, a lot of things to hit on there. I think you kind of hit a little bit of everybody. You know, seeing the mech guy next to the horse guy, and both of them care equally about their counterpart, I mean, just as much as they would, you know, a, a living person. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for role play in that as well. It's, it sounds really cool. Because one of the things we ran into is, like, how do we make your fantasy characters still matter just as much as a sci-fi character? Like, why do you still want to play as a half-orc druid when you could easily play as you know, one of these other characters that is more themed to the setting, when the idea is that, you know, again, we didn't take anything away. Your character, if you wanted to be more fantastical, is still just as, you know, appreciated and still just as valid in this setting, if not more so, because you can tailor them to either thing. So, like, one of the things we did, um, I'll just use kind of with, with um, book two, when we were talking about the, the races and how the SRD races work, the world is with elves. If you're thinking elves, for example, like, okay, how would elves react to a technologically advanced future? And we were like, well, elves often are kind of isolationist assholes. They don't really care about the rest of the world, so they just stay in their fortresses and they don't care. But what happens when they look outside and they're like, oh shit, everyone has space travel and we don't <laughs> because we've been stuck here not doing anything. So we've built it so that... Uh, in lore, elves are, like, really bad with tech. They, like, don't understand how it works. They struggle with it. It acts up around them. So instead of having ships, they just build these huge portals. Because, like, we don't know how to build ships. We don't want to build ships. Um, so that's kind of like one. And then with half-elves, we did this cool thing in Epoch where um, half-elves, because they kind of, you know, ride that line of human but also elven, they have a unique uh, ability to interface with technology. But the longer they interface it, when the more they interface with it, they start to become more biomechanical as that integration begins to affect their body. Um, all of the races have, all the SRD races have new, you know, racial abilities that either replace old ones or add new ones to make them work 
in the universe and all the subclasses are themed to still be able to work in the universe like um for warlocks in book one we have a kaiju patron because there are kaiju that need to be fight that live on the planet um so it still works or you know for book two one of the ones i designed uh was the epoch commando for rogue so you still are a rogue but you're more like a swat officer or swat fighter who works on the space station to keep things going so it's all everything was added nothing was removed or reduced everything is still very valid have a more fantastical I'm a big fan of like the Mass Effect series. And so when you talk about all this stuff, I'm like, well, I'm just gonna make a human battle master and uh, watch me be like an N7 agent. You know, like I can, you can still find a way to make that kind of stuff of work of just being good with a melee weapon or a, or a longbow transfers pretty well from, you know, well, it's a, it's a rifle now and, and uh, let's get a little bit closer or whatever. So I, I think it works. I mean, I, don't, I, th I think people have a blast with it. Okay, one of the things I enjoy doing on this show, especially with people who come on here with their projects, is giving you 15 seconds to give me the, eleva the elevator pitch. Tell me why I should be backing Comments and Cockpits that launches on, you said, April 15th? Mm -hmm. So tell me, you have 15 seconds. Go. All right. Do you want to be homesteaders crash landing on a forgotten mega planet or uh, tech magnates exploring an ancient lost satellite? Do all these and more explore the wild side of science fantasy. Comments and Cockpits launches April 15th on Kickstarter. There is a link to the Kickstarter pre-launch in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was a good time. Absolutely. Nolan, that is our time for this week. Do you have anything else before we go? No, as it gets closer, keep us in the loop. Um, and anything you can sneak us uh, that you want out there to try and hype it up. Uh, we're happy to do a review on it, talk about it, uh, give our 10 mile opinion of it as well so uh good luck to you on this this looks great i'm sure it's going to do fantastic because uh i mean why wouldn't you want a mech on my halfling i mean how else am i gonna get around faster <laughs> uh one of the big things i will say is just if folks come and follow me on twitter it's at daylight pub 1066 every 10 more followers we get now that we've broken 250, every 10, every 50 more followers we get, we get to add 50 more dollars to the pre-Kickstarter budget for art. But every 10 more followers, we do a reveal, little sneak peek of subclass, of a subrace, of uh, we just revealed one of our mounts today, the Fen Flitters. So if you imagine like a water strider the size of a horse that you can ride. Um, so every 10 followers, we do a little sneak peek. Just follow me, you'll be able to, to see that. Awesome. What was that Twitter handle again? At Daylight Pub 1066. 1066, the Battle of Hastings. I'm a history man. <laughs> All right, we have that in the show notes. Well, that is going to be our show for this week. Nolan, it is always a pleasure to see you. I don't see you enough anymore. We're going to have to get together for drinks soon. Um, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Bye.